So uh, the next passage we have in our ministry series on Mark is from Mark chapter 6. And in a minute we're going to read the passage, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. So if you could turn to that and get ready to read through that, that would be great. Um, This passage is also recorded in Matthew uh, chapter 35, verses 53 to 58. Uh, There is also a passage in Luke, uh, chapter 4, verses 16 to 30, which has similar themes, very similar themes, but there are also significant details recorded in that passage in Luke, uh, which suggests to my mind that the time maybe referred to there was a different time. It could also be that the uh, recordings of Mark and Matthew just omit the detail. One of my Bible versions um, links uh, Luke 4 as the same time, but my NLV doesn't. So in my mind, there's a little bit of a debate as to whether the Luke 4 uh, recording of Jesus' uh, visit to his hometown um, is the same one. Anyway, the Luke passage ends with Jesus, it seems, being marched by furious Nazareth people to the edge of a hill, where they intend to throw him off the edge of the hill. So it wasn't a great visit to the place where he had grown up. But either way, the subject that we're considering is about a time when Jesus went back home um, to where he grew up. Our brains are super amazing, aren't they? Uh, When we see somebody that we haven't seen over a period of time, and when we get to meet them again, uh, the brain takes the last memory uh, and compares it to the present experience and calculates the difference. It could be in looks, couldn't it? It could be from whatever aspect. It could be how healthy or not we look. Uh, It could be a change in how we come across, our attitude, how we project ourselves, what we say and how we say it, but the brain calculates that, doesn't it? And then whether we comment on that or not is a a different thing. But it would be a helpful, uh, positive, constructive thing, wouldn't it? If when that mental calculation takes place, um, that uh, when we process that calculation, say for example, like we're gonna talk about the Lord who went home, um, it would be a great thing, wouldn't it? That um, when, people do process that calculation in their minds that we're received with grace, uh, compassion, understanding and love, whether the change that they experience by those back at home was positive or negative. Uh, And what we see here in the Lord's experience wasn't that at all. So let's read the passage, just six verses. Mark chapter six, verses one to six. Jesus left there uh, and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are, those, what are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honour, except in his, in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could, do, he could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Uh, Mark's Gospel describes Jesus as a man on a mission. Um, and in the last couple of chapters, We've seen, travel, we've seen Jesus travelling on his ministry to both traditionally Jewish uh, and to Gentile areas. 
Uh, Jesus has been across the sea of Galilee and back, and it's been quite a few days. He's shown his mastery over the elements. He has transformed Legion's life, a man who was trapped uh, and possessed by evil spirits. Legion is described as sitting there, dressed and in his right mind. Uh, it's almost, you can feel the, the way it appeals to me, uh, quite a tangible transformation as you imagine it. It's the normalness of the description that helps you understand how difficult his previous state had been uh, and the power of the Son of God changed all that. Uh, Jesus has transformed a woman's life. Uh, last, thing, last week, I think, David convincingly suggested that the woman suffering from 12 years uh, of bleeding could well have been in her 20s. 12 years... Twelve years of miserable suffering that ended with an act of faith and a young life ahead, uh, and a young life ahead of testimony to the power of the Son of God, the promised Messiah. Uh, Jesus had brought back a twelve-year-old girl from the dead uh, the same day that he healed the lady. And the young girl's family uh, would never have forgotten the uh, roller coaster of emotions that day as they moved from concern to worry to hope to delay to tragedy uh, to deep hope and then to uh, overwhelming joy uh, and so uh, in Jesus wake there are there are changed lives uh, experiences of his power uh, invitations of faith uh, invitations uh, to believe in him and expressions of faith in who he was um, and then he goes to his um, hometown Nazareth the place where he'd grown up, and we go from expressions of faith uh, to the opposite. Uh, Mark doesn't specifically mention Nazareth, but he does mention uh, in chapter 1 and 19 that that's where Jesus was from. And so as far as we know, he had spent most of his previous life uh, in Nazareth. Uh, the chapter title in my NIV says, A Prophet Without Honour. And my reaction as I got into this study was, what? Do they not know who he is? And obviously we have uh, a more 360 degree uh, perspective of uh, Jesus' um, experience and work. So as Jesus goes back home, the questions that raised in my mind were, well, what was that like? Um, had he been back there with his disciples before, uh, all of them as a group? So Nazareth is, in, so Nazareth is his hometown. And so we might be, uh, or we might expect or hope, that there would be celebration when he's recognised. Uh, Ian referred this morning to that safe place uh, where he grew up, and then there was his three years of ministry. Uh, when, hopefully, when he comes back, the people who knew him and recognised who he was, we might hope that they would notice the difference. Uh, we thought about that just a couple of minutes ago and process that in a positive way and celebrate the further relation of who he was and the development that had happened um, and the words that he came to speak. But we read instead uh, that they took offence at him. The way uh, we understand it from Mark's Gospel is that Jesus uh, is accompanied by his disciples. He returns home and he takes advantage of the custom that allowed visiting teachers to participate in the worship service by invitation of the synagogue leaders. It's the same thing that Paul did later in Acts 13 and 15, Acts 14 and 1, Acts 17 and 2, and Acts 18 and 4. 
So let's remember from the previous chapters that Jesus has attracted quite a large following. He's performed some amazing miracles. He's healed many people and his reputation is spreading. Um, Jairus, who we thought about last week from David, was a synagogue ruler. So he was heavily linked with the synagogue and its, and its function in Capernaum. He came to Jesus for help with his daughter. So I think uh, we can assume that Jesus came to Nareth with a positive reputation initially. To my mind, that's how it appeals to me. Uh, and so Jesus gets to teach, and the reaction of is that many who heard him speak, they were amazed. Now, the implication seems to be that the teaching they heard was different, maybe more impactful than they were used to. Uh, we've seen Jesus' power so far uh, in miracles, and now we see his power as he comes and he teaches. Um, if the Luke 4 similar passage we mentioned earlier is the same, time then the scroll he read that day was Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 2 which was about the coming Messiah his message was about meeting every human need about salvation being proclaimed about the proclamation of liberation from sin and of all its consequences and he comes and, and he comes and stands in front of them in, the, in this story and what he's teaching to them is the prophecy about himself and so he comes and stands in their story um, the amazement um, at the teaching here reminds me of the Luke 24, 32 experience of the two on the road to Emmaus. Their experience was that Jesus, when he, and when he explains everything to them and he was talking about himself, he was evidencing himself and it was powerful to those two who walked with Jesus that day. Mark, just a, a little side note, Mark frequent, frequently in his gospel reports the amazement that Jesus' teaching and his actions produced Several scriptures, Mark 2 and 12, 5 and 20, and verse 42 from chapter 5 to uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 2 and 51, Mark chapter 7, verses 37, Mark chapter 10 and 26, Mark chapter 11 and 18, and uh, Mark chapter 15 and 5. So that's a, a theme in Mark's gospel, the amazement that Jesus' teaching provoked. Um, We've already seen earlier in, in this series, in chapter 1 and 22, that the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. It was his, it was his inherent authority that amazed. Um, the teachers of the law quoted human authority, didn't they? And Jesus' authority was directly from God, and it was his that, re that resonated and hit home. Um, we have got God's written word here, haven't we? Uh, and it's the one that the writer to the Hebrews evidences in chapter 4 and 12. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, the context of it, is all about the written scriptures. And in verse 12, we're, we're reminded that the word gives us um, all the power we need to learn the true will of God and how God wants us to live our lives. The Bible provides everything we need to know the difference between selfless, um, uh, truly selfless and spiritual deeds compared to acts which are in our natural human state of sin, which are selfish and ungodly. And it reminds us in Hebrews 4 and 12 that this word is living and it's active. Uh, and, and evidence to each of our hearts is when something from this book grips us. Uh, and the people that Jesus read to that day and taught were gripped and they were amazed by what he had said. Um, my mind probably went into overdrive as I tried to study this. Um, but a rhetorical question to me was how to read the next, this, this little period where I think it only matters really to make the rejection worse. 
It's about when they recognised that Jesus was who he was, the carpenter and Mary and Joseph's son. Does it matter? I'm not sure. But I thought it were worth mentioning. Does their amazement come uh, from his teaching alone? Or is it contextually because they had recognised him and it couldn't, they couldn't believe that it was Jesus that was speaking like this? Um, the order written for us here is that Jesus teaches, teaches and the people are then amazed. And as we've said, this amazement happens multiple times in Mark's account, as we've already thought. And as part of the amazement, the three questions that are asked in the congregation are, well, where did he get these things? I.e., he's very wise, really. That's, that's a paraphrase. Where did he get it? And where did he get the power to do miraculous things such as he has been doing? Either way, um, you can imagine the elbow nudging and the whispering starting and the biting negativity of where does he get all the power to do all of that? For me, the key, the key thing here was that the Lord was on his ministry journey. Three years that would change the world. Um, and what he was ev evidencing was, was who he was and where he came from. Um, Israel had its rich history as God's people, didn't, didn't they? We've sung about that in our hymn. And there had been several prophets. So, so why couldn't Jesus be one of these? The attitude seems to be, it's Jesus. Really? Surely not. How can he do that? And I think it's unfair in the extreme from a human point of view. So um, what can we take from this and be conscious of today? Well, what about the inability of letting people moving on and developing? Some people often don't, do need, don't they? They need to spread their wings to develop. Uh, others don't. Um, when those people return and the positive difference is experienced, maybe some could feel threatened by that and maybe that's part of what happened here and maybe the people back in nazareth felt insecure and uncomfortable in the development that they saw uh, it's partly about attitude and experience isn't it uh, it can be difficult to change our thoughts on a particular thing can't it changing our thoughts or our, or our attitudes about something um, can lead to considerable considerable challenge what really appeals to me here is the, inherently, the inherent potential in everyone to change for improvement and for the better and to God's glory, more, as more importantly than anything. Just to be clear, uh, I'm not suggesting that Jesus needed to change for good because he was the son of God, but I'm paralleling some lessons that we can take from the story uh, for our discipleship. Uh, as disciples, we have the power to call to mind and draw on God's living word. Uh, Lamentations 3, 2 and 21 says, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. If we don't call to mind what God has said about himself and about us, we languish. We can wallow in the mire of godless messages in our heads like, I can't, they won't, she never, he never, it hasn't worked. The point is not that these are true or false, because... The way our minds work, as, as wonderful as the brain is in calculating the difference, uh, our minds will always find a way to make things that we think true, unless we call to mind something greater. God is the God of the impossible, and reasoning, reasoning our way out of an impossible situation is not as effective as reminding ourselves that God does impossible things. Uh, it reminds me of a point that Ian made uh, a few weeks ago when he was talking about the parable of the growing seed. The point was that the power was in the seed, 
and the rest of the work was done by the Lord. Uh, verse 3 develops, uh, I would suggest, in its biting negativity with those in the church of the day in the synagogue seeming, seemingly next looking at his heritage and parentage and saying that he couldn't do anything special because of his roots. Uh, isn't this Mary's son? I'm paraphrasing. Seriously, little Jesus? Um, I wondered about how the story of Mary's visitation by the angel those three decades earlier uh, was eventually told where she was told by the angel that she was going to be with child and give birth to a son who would be Jesus, the son of God. I'm pretty sure at this point that the people uh, didn't know about his conception. Equally, Joseph isn't mentioned here, um, but Mary is, as are Jesus' four half-brothers and his sisters referred to. And I think it's safe to assume at this point that Joseph had died. Um, so he goes back home. Um, he receives a response. Um, his parentage is questioned negatively, but also his heritage. Isn't this the carpenter? Um, Matthew's Gospel reports that Jesus was called the carpenter's son. That's in Matthew 13 and 55. But only in Mark uh, do we read that Jesus is referred to himself as a carpenter. The Greek word can also apply to a mason or a smith, so somebody who works with metal or stone, but it seems to have its usual meaning here of a carpenter. Um, it's a derogatory question, meaning, is he not a common worker with his hands, a common worker with his hands, like the rest of us? And of course he was, wasn't he? He was one of them. Uh, he was still one of them. And yet there was, an, there was an inability for them to let Jesus move on and for them to accept who he was uh, and to understand what he had come to do and believe um, in and submit to the power of God that he was evidencing. Um, I can't help, and neither can you, um, who your parents were or are, and neither can we change where our formative years were spent. Um, and there will always be stereotype, won't, won't there? You're from there. Ah, well, this means X. Um, those are his parents. Oh, well, that means that, and so on. Um, I was challenged with this as I considered in my attitudes to people and situations. Isn't the key thing here about the word, the work that God was doing through Jesus? Um, we don't have to assume that they took offence because it says uh, they took offence at him. Uh, the people of Nazareth saw no reason to believe that he was different from them, much less that he was specifically and specially anointed by God. Um, I'm pretty sure that one of the reasons they took offence was because they could see a difference in him, evidence of something amazing, and it made them feel uh, uncomfortable. Um, we take offence too easily too, don't we, if we're really honest? Um, and I partly think, and a result, sorry, I think the result of, it's a result of pride, partly, and a lack of knowledge and understanding. Uh, pride is a real challenge to each one of us, isn't it? Uh, and it's based in a self-first attitude and centering of self. Uh, Jesus said that a prophet, in other words, a worker for God, is never honoured in his hometown. My reaction to this was, really? That is really a shame. Um, we've discussed some of the human dynamics at play. Um, and even though it's disappointing, I think it's quite a useful fact, isn't it? Because sometimes, you know, reality is reality. If you know reality... That's a, that's a useful place to be. Um, 
An awareness of our surroundings, and by that I mean dynamics, is a good thing to have. Um, that awareness uh, uh, of what Jesus said about a prophet doesn't make the work of the prophet or of God's worker any less important. Uh, it didn't make Jesus' work any less important here. Um, Steve mentioned this morning about the prophetess, Anna, who was referred to as a prophetess. I'm not sure if the words are the same, but she was a worker for God and she'd had an experience. And we don't know much about Anna's life at all. But what we do know is that uh, in her experience, uh, she had an encounter with the Lord Jesus as a baby. Uh, and it's recorded for us. And that, I believe, is recorded to us for a reason. And we, we've, we heard from Steve's thoughts this morning. Um, about the long life of service that she then went on to do. So the awareness uh, didn't make the work of the prophet or God's worker any less important. Um, it, just, it just made uh, it highlighted more. Um, a lesson we can draw from this is that a person doesn't need to be respected or honoured to be useful to God. Uh, if friends, neighbours or family don't respect our Christian work or beliefs, let's not that reject, let's not let's uh, not let that rejection uh, keep us from serving God. Uh, maybe there's a nod here also to increasing our understanding of people and situations to be outward looking from ourselves and to celebrate the work that God is doing through people, uh, which is totally the opposite to what the people of Nazareth did. And then um, I think a stunning sentence, he could do no miracle there because of their unbelief. And so I think we can take from this that Jesus had the power to choose due to their lack of faith. We know from what we've already read in the last few chapters that Jesus, uh, it wasn't that Jesus didn't have the power to perform miracles at Nazareth, it's just that he chose not to in such a climate of unbelief. And that's quite powerful and sobering at the same time. So I think there's a clear message here to us about our faith and about our experience of God's power and about the potential in our lives and the potential for us to be an evidence of that and to be a channel at the same time. Jesus could have done greater miracles in Nazareth, but he chose not to because of the people's pride and unbelief. Uh, only a few days earlier, Jairus and the woman uh, had come to him in faith and believed, and the, uh, the outcomes were brilliantly amazing. I think there's a practical application of Jesus' ability to choose there. Uh, when we think about the teaching in 1 John 3 and 6 and 9 about the sin in our lives. Um, true believers don't make a practice of sinning or become indifferent to what God says in his law. Um, all believers do, don't we still sin? But we are working, aren't we, to gain victory over that. And the verbs in um, uh, the 1 John 3 verses 6 to 9 indicate a choosing not to do something, a choosing not to sin by the Spirit's power. Uh, it's not that we uh, have lost the ability to sin, um, but it's that we choose not to. And it's the same verb construction here as the Lord not doing miracles because of their unbelief. The verb in Greek is spidoisax, uh, which is a choosing not to. Um, just coming up to the last few verses, um, Jesus continued teaching in the villages despite the rejection. So the miracles and his evidence had little effect and his, and his uh, reputation had little effect on the people because they didn't accept his message or they didn't and they didn't believe he was from God. And so Jesus, well, he looked elsewhere, seeking those who would respond to his miracles uh, and his message. 
I think this is an encouragement to perseverance, isn't it? Uh, not to being distracted in God's work in the many areas of service, whether it's public or private. And it's, in, it's an encouragement not to be distracted in exploring what God is saying to us in our lives. So, uh, I have uh, seven or eight final quick points for us to consider. Um, I was interested uh, that the word for carpenter could be translated as a smith or a mason, as we thought of earlier. The building blocks of kind of everything that things are constructed from. Reminded me of the beginning of John's Gospel. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing that has been made. Point two, uh, who is Jesus in our experience to the people of Nazareth? Well, they didn't accept who he was. Um, third point, not being held back or restricted by the thinking of other people. Um, as I was typing the thinking of other people, uh, my uh, laptop changed it to sinking. Um, and if we are affected by the thinking of other people, then I think we do sink. Um, so not being held back by the thinking of other people, uh, if that thinking is based on pride or jealousy uh, or negativity. Uh, point four, what are my attitudes to other people? Point five, what is God doing through us with the seed of his living word? Uh, point six, focusing on potential rather than judgment. Uh, point seven, uh, not living under the shadow of others or self-imposed uh, limitations. And finally, um, I'm kind of borrowing and leaning back into that Luke 4 might be the same time. Uh, and in that account, Jesus takes the scroll and he reads Isaiah 61, uh, verses 1 to 2. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim pr freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Uh, Luke's account equally tells us that Jesus' home, if it is or if it isn't the same time, it tells us that Jesus went home one day and that he spoke those words that were prophesied uh, many years earlier. And he told them that today the scripture was, was fulfilled in their hearing. He had come to tell them that he had come to meet every human need. Uh, it's the same today, isn't it? Uh, we have greater knowledge than the people of Nazareth did that day. Uh, we know that Jesus is alive and that he is, he is interceding for us today. So one of the questions to uh, leave us with today is, are we going to exercise faith in him, which we've seen is powerful? Are we going to exercise our faith in him just a little bit more today than we did yesterday and understand and experience his power some more in our lives?